We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. And we have a 49ers Bucks game to preview. And to help us do that, we had our buddy Luke Easterling from the Bucks Wire. He also does Draft Wire for the USA Today Sports Media Group. He is terrific. One of the smartest football people I know. Really like talking to him about the Bucks, but just he has takes on everything. Um, super, super good dude. Actually got to hang out with him in Orlando when we had a when we had a little summit thing there. And uh, he was as as cool in person as he is on the internet, which is always nice to find out because it's not always the case. So talked Bucks with Luke, and then we'll get into our Cooperage six pack. And we're sponsored by Cooperage. Cooperage Brewing. Visit the brewery in Santa Rosa, or you can go to cooperagebrewing.com and you can order your beer there. If you're over 21 and in the state of California, they will ship beer to you. You can order beer for pickup. If you want to make sure that you go and get some brand new Candlestick Chronicles. A third run of Candlestick Chronicles is out now. We're recording this Thursday. The run dropped on Thursday, so if you didn't get any of the first batch or the second batch, first of all, what the hell? Second of all, you can go get some right now. So I would say pause the podcast, but you can just switch to a different app and the podcast will keep playing. You won't have to pause it to to go to go and order your beer while you listen. So Cooper's Brewing, Cooper'sbrewing.com. Go drink good beer. All right, let's talk football. Here's Luke Easterling. Blue wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Luke Sterling's here talking 49ers Bucks. Luke, you are one of the busiest people I know with Bucks Wire, with Draft Wire. And this is probably the time of year that you're really ramping up on both. So shout out to you and thanks for taking time for our podcast. That means a lot to me. Oh man, my pleasure. It's uh that's a that's a labor of love, man. If you'd have told me when I was uh, a 14-year-old kid sitting in a a uh, public library building like the world's ugliest uh, football blog when I was uh, when I was a teenager <laughs> that this would actually be paying the bills, man. I don't I don't know what I would have told you, man, but uh, I'm I'm living the dream. I'm loving it. Um, and uh, obviously the Bucks have made it a lot more fun the last couple of years. But uh, but to be able to to be able to do this work, both the Bucks and the draft, the two things I, I love to write about the most, man, I'm, I'm, I'm having a blast. So the Bucks are a fascinating team because we obviously know what the ceiling was when they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. And this season got off to a pretty good start weeks one and two beating the the Cowboys and the Saints. Remember, this is an aside, but week one is always weird. Like we always talk about week one being weird. Remember when the Bucks beat Dallas 19 to three and then the Cowboys were kind of a laughing stock. And then now all of a sudden we think of the Cowboys as like one of the best teams in the NFC. Funny how that works. Anyway, it's going to be even funnier when they come to Tampa as the wild card team to mm-hmm. face 
the right. Bucks in the playoffs in Tampa with a losing record. That'll be fun. Right, right. So the Bucks start off well, then they have a one and five stretch, and now they've won three of their last four. Um, can you just summarize sort of what like what led to them going one and five and now what sort of led to this? I don't know if it's a turnaround or not, but but winning three of four and seemingly getting back on track. Yeah, it's funny. I've said like multiple times this year after the two game stretch where they lost to Pittsburgh and Carolina uh, and then this past couple weeks ago when they lost to Cleveland, I, I was like older Bucks fans don't agree with me because they think that since I wasn't alive when this team went 0-26 to start their existence uh, that I don't realize really how bad it was. But like this was worse to me, like because of the expectation, the level of expectation that this team had coming into the season. And yeah, you can talk about the injuries and who's missing, but I'm, I'm, I'm still looking around at the rest of the, the locker room and who's healthy. And I'm saying this, this team is capable of being a really, really successful team. Definitely not a 17 points per game offense. And so to watch them go and lose to Pittsburgh, lose to Carolina, who is just one of the worst teams in the league, you know, to lose to Cleveland in overtime the way they did, like to watch, particularly on offense, the ineptitude is just depressing. Like when you look on paper at what this team has, it's just inexcusable. And, and to get to the reasons, I think, you know, we talk about complementary football all the time, right? That's the cliche and, and all the units and, and phases have to work together. But that's really where the Bucks have struggled this year because, you know, yes, you point to the injury. So we'll, we'll, we start on the offensive line, right? Ryan Jensen, Pro Bowl center. The first guy that Tom Brady called when he was coming back, right? He's like, okay, you're the free agent. I want you back first. We're going to do this. Let's make another run. Ryan Jensen signs his big three-year deal. Second day of training camp blows out his knee. Just right off the bat, right? So you lose him in training camp. You lose Aaron Stinney, who was going to be your veteran replacement for Ali Marpet, right? You lost both of your guards in free agency. Alex Kappa went to Cincinnati. Ali Marpet retires. And so you lose both of those guards and your Pro Bowl center now to injury for the, for all the, this year, right? They went and got Shaq Mason. Great trade. Probably the best move they made all offseason, right? Fifth-round pick, they got Shaq Mason. Fantastic move. So he plays right guard. But at left guard, I think they really wanted to ride with Aaron Stinney because Aaron Stinney took over for Alex Kappa at right guard for the Super Bowl run in the playoffs. He got hurt, um, I think, in the Washington game, the wild card game. And Aaron Stinney played really well at guard the rest of the way. He had a couple more starts in 2021. And I think he was a guy that, that Tom Brady really trusted to be in that spot. So he goes down with a torn ACL against Tennessee in the preseason. And now you're left with, you know, Robert Hainsey, your second year converted right tackle from Notre Dame, who's now playing center starting week one, his first NFL start. Left guard, you have Luke Gedeke, who's a second round, you know, converted right tackle from Central Michigan, who's now making his first NFL start in week one at left guard. And these two guys are the guys that are replacing Jensen and Marpet. Like, I get that that's a big thing to, to try to get over. But I think what it really exposed for the Bucks offense is the fact that they can't seem to adapt the scheme to what they don't have anymore. So, you know, obviously anybody who knows anything about Bruce Arians offense, it's very vertical heavy and we can call it, you know, it's not Bruce's offense. It's Byron's offense now, but it's, it's very much the same thing in a lot of ways, but it's very vertical heavy. It's very, you know, five and seven step drops and in these long developing route combinations. So you got to have protection. And if you don't have protection, you've got to be able to adapt. And I, I really think the Bucks you know, whether it's coaching, it's execution, whatever you want to blame on it, you know now, you've known since week one that you don't have the offensive line that you were hoping and planning to have. You've got to fix it. you got to figure out a way around that. You can't just keep dropping back five and seven steps and, and being surprised when you can't do that as effectively. You can't be surprised that because you've replaced two pro bowlers with two guys who had never made a start before this season – that you're not going to be able to run the ball as effectively, especially to the left side. It, it's just, it, it, it's, it's been mind numbing for a lot of Bucks fans, I think, to watch the offense continue to, to, to bang their head against the wall and try to do the same things over and over again, as if they still have all those guys up front that they don't have anymore, instead of adapting the way they, they kind of put things together schematically to, to account for that. And that, and that, in terms of complementary football, right, it leads to a very tired defense. The Bucs have been banged up on defense a good bit this year, but they've, they've honestly played pretty well for the most part. The, the the times where they've played their worst is usually at the end of games where they've been out on the field way too much, and Todd Bowles keeps 
throwing them out there, whether it's weird punt decisions or all kinds of stuff. Obviously, it paid off for them on Monday night. They kind of got away with one there. But, you know, the defense has played admirably in in spite of the fact that the offense can't stay on the field. They can't convert third downs consistently. They can't get in the end zone when they get the red zone. Again, they led the NFL in scoring offense last year. They're averaging half as many points this year. They're like 17 points a game. So it all works together, right? You know, you can't stay on the field on offense. Your defense gets tired. And and you're going to lose football games. That's that's really been you know the story of their season this year. How much of that lack of adaptability do you think comes down to Todd Bowles now being the head coach instead of Bruce Arians? I mean, maybe you know it's it's hard to really know without being in those conversations. And and I don't know how much of it is is Bruce really trying to make sure he stays as hands off as possible because he doesn't want to micromanage and he doesn't want to disrespect Todd by doing that. You know what I mean? I would imagine that's true. Um, but, but again, sure. it, you feel like at some point, especially since Todd's still calling plays on defense, right? So when anything comes up in terms of game management, you know, clock management, time decisions, you know, stuff like that, you know, you didn't challenge this play. Should you have done this? That's always going to come back to, to, you know, wondering, well, if, if he wasn't calling plays and he was, you know, passed that off, would he have had the ability to make those decisions a little bit differently because he had the headspace for it instead of worrying about, the next call or whatever, you know, there, there's a lot of questions that I think still need to be answered about this coaching staff, the way it's set up now. Um, but I, I think it's, it's very painfully obvious um, that the whole no risk it, no biscuit thing, the very aggressive mentality, particularly on offense is definitely not present uh, with, with the Todd Bowles regime. And again, maybe part of that is because he is the defensive guy. He doesn't want to take too many risks on offense because it would put, you know, his defense in, in tough situations sometimes. But I can tell you from the Bucks fan perspective, it's not been uh, an upgrade. You know, they, they you know, uh, NFL fans are an impatient bunch. We all are really in, in a lot of ways. Um, so it's, you know, the new coach, when things aren't going well, they're always going to get, you know, cold for their heads. But it, I think it's 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 been a, a jarring mentality change for Bucks fans because you see all the same faces, so you you – I think maybe even subconsciously think there's going to be continuity there, but the approach on offense, I, I think has just been very, very conservative compared to what we saw when Bruce was, was calling the shot. So over the last couple of months, I've developed a, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the only one, but I've, there's been this pet theory of mine that um, Tom Brady could eventually try to leave Tampa, maybe this off season and, and come to the 49ers. And um you know, a lot of that stems from what happened in the 2020 offseason uh, when the 49ers seemed like they had an opportunity to, to sign Brady. They decided to, to stay with Jimmy Garoppolo and, and we justified the decision. Like, I think given, you know, Brady's age, it was fair to short Brady, particularly given the way he played that last season in New England. He's since won a Super Bowl, but now it doesn't seem like he's playing all that well. And I think there are arguments to be made on both sides of the discussion saying like, well, he's, he's really old and maybe starting to, to play his age a little bit, but also to, to the point that you've been making about the offense and the offensive line in particular, that maybe it's just not a great situation. And maybe that's more to blame for the offense, not being that good. Um, where do you stand on, on Brady's season and what do you think, how do you think he's playing relative to that situation? And do you think he's still got championship level football left in him? Or is this finally the, the sign of, of his decline and and his eventual exit from the league? Uh, you know, I think if there's a list of things that, that the Bucks have going wrong, I think he is, he is very far down the list. Um, I think that, most times, and I think the the Monday night game was a prime example. I think the Rams, the finish to the Rams game is another example. If anyone else is playing quarterback for this team, they probably lose both of those games. He's just that guy in that moment and, and made those things happen. I think if if he's not their quarterback, I think this season goes much, much worse than it has been. It doesn't mean he hasn't had his moments. And, and you know, my my Twitter uh, account during the game is is full of, you know, a willingness to call him out when he makes bad throws. I mean, he, you know, just on Monday night, especially in the first half, he missed a lot of reads. Mike Evans was open for multiple touchdowns and he either didn't look that way or, or looked somewhere. Like it was just, 
it's there have been plenty of moments this season where I feel like he's made the wrong read. I feel like he's missed a throw. Um, so I don't know if it's as much a decline. It's like a chicken and the egg kind of thing, right? It's like you don't know if he's making mistakes because the offensive line isn't, you know, as trustworthy and he's trying to get rid of the ball sooner instead of maybe waiting a split second longer for the better route, the better matchup to open up and and that sort of thing. Or if it's his problem and he's making wrong reads regardless of the protection, it's kind of, it's, it's a razor's edge, right? It's such a split second thing when you're in the pocket making those decisions. So overall, I think his play this season has been the last thing this team needs to be worried about in terms of why they haven't been as successful as they expected. Mm. Um, you know, again, injuries have a lot to do with that. But, you know, I, I think he's, again, he's had some moments. He's missed some throws. What I haven't seen is is physical, you know, de- degradation. Like, it's not like he can't throw the deep ball. It's not like he's, you know, like we saw Drew Brees and Peyton Manning at that, you know, later in their careers where you could just tell they just couldn't push the ball down the field. That has not been an issue at, at all. And again, he's got players that can stretch the field. He's got an offense that wants to push the ball down the field. And we really haven't seen any any problems in that department. I think the biggest problem for him is he really can't move very much. And, and in this today's mm-hmm. NFL, particularly not having a quarterback that's very mobile. I mean, if, if he makes anybody miss in the pocket, it's it's incredible. We're all like, oh my God, like as soon if, if they <laughs> aren't there right away. And he has to go to the third or fourth read. It's usually a sack because he's just got nowhere to go and he's not going to get there. Um, which, to your point about the 49ers thing, is it always made me kind of wonder what that fit would have been because I feel like that's a horrible fit for that offense. A quarterback that that can't do a lot of boot action, that doesn't, you know, you don't want to get him out rolling out very much. He's a very straight drop back guy. So I never understood that fit with Shanahan's offense personally. But uh, again, overarching theme, I, I think, He's had his moments where you would have wished he would have made a better decision or made a better throw. But overall, the Bucks have a lot of problems, and, and he's not really one of them, in my opinion. You mentioned their defense and being pretty banged up. How do they? Can they get after the quarterback at all right now? Uh, no, not not unless they blitz. Not unless they Next are question. sending linebackers. You know, I, I mean, it's if they're sending Levante David and, and Devin White and getting you know, creative with, which again, Todd Bowles is well known for that, right? He loves complex uh, blitz packages. And if you guys watched the game on Monday, you saw Vita Veo like lining up like three yards off the ball in a two point stance and then just (laughs) running straight full blast and like knocking him over. Like that should be illegal, but it sounds like my nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think all of us, the fact that Vita Veo is faster than me is just depressing to me, but that's, that's horrifying. But you know, I, Bowles knows how to create pressure with scheme, but when you can't do what they did in the Super Bowl, right, when you can just rush four all day long and play two-man and you're going to get home because that's just going to work. When you can't do that, you've got to get creative. But when you do that, especially against teams with, with better offenses, better quarterbacks, you're going to get eaten alive if you don't get home. So obviously losing Shaq Barrett has been the biggest problem because he's your best pass rusher. Right. Um, but this team, and again, this is, this goes back to the fact that I think one of the biggest things that doesn't get talked about enough in terms of what the Bucks haven't been able to do this year is that they went the economical veteran kind of journeyman route with all of their free agency moves this year, and they all got hurt, all of them. Go down the list of the top eight to ten guys at this team time, which, again, they kind of had to do, right? They didn't have a lot of money. The cap situation, because of all the contracts that they've kind of creatively jump through all the salary cap hoops to make sure they could keep this window open. They didn't have a lot of money to spend. So they had to wait some things out. They had to go get, you know, all these older players to fill a certain roles. And when they're healthy, they've been really great. We saw it the other night, you know, we saw Julio Jones making a great catch. We saw Akeem Hicks making a big impact, Logan Ryan, but most of these guys have missed most of the season. Kyle Rudolph has been an absolute, you know, nothing, nothing for this offense. He's a healthy scratch most weeks. Logan Ryan got hurt in, I think, week three or four and was out for most of the season until last week. Akeem Hicks got hurt in week two and came back finally a couple of weeks later. Oh, I mean, Julio was out for most of the season until the last couple of weeks. Most of those older veteran guys that they brought in to, to not even be, you know, full every down players, but at least contributors, they've all gotten hurt for, for very big stretches of the season. So I think that's had a lot to do with it. Um you know, they just, I mean, this this last game of Monday night, they were missing three of their top five defensive backs. Uh, Vita and Akeem Hicks were hurt all week. They played anyway. 
Um, you know, it's just everybody's if they're playing, they're probably not playing at 100 percent. I know that's the case for a lot of teams at this point in the season. But I do think some of it comes back to the fact that they were kind of forced to go the the cheap late in free agency veteran route when, when it came time to sign a lot of those guys. The one guy that doesn't fit that was Russell Gage. They gave him three years and 30 million. He's been hurt almost all season. He got hurt in training camp with a hamstring. It's nagged him all year. I think he's played you know, maybe 20 meaningful snaps all year and, and maybe none of them at full strength. So, it, you know, the, the free agents have been a, a huge disappointment, mostly because of health, but that, that that hasn't helped either. It's kind of crazy that Shaq Barrett hasn't played in four weeks and he's still fourth on the team in pressures. Yeah, yeah. PFF, that's, that's I can't nice. decide whether to be excited about that or depressed about it, but yeah, it's uh, pretty, pretty wild. So I, I thought it was interesting what you brought up about Todd Bowles with the with the blitzing stuff because that's something that all week, and Chris and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week with Brock Purdy starting, making his first start on Sunday. It was like, man, of all or, or defensive coaches to go against, it feels like Todd Bowles for a first-time starting rookie quarterback is like the least ideal guy to go up against. Because I feel like he's just going to have him in a jail cell. So. What's funny about that is if you ask Bucks fans, and this is this is more than a Todd Bowles thing. This is just like a recent Bucks history thing, is that the more obscure the opposing quarterback, the more afraid we are. <laughs> because the like last five to eight years of Bucks football is just littered with these random quarterbacks that never do anything else except throw like four touchdowns against the Bucks randomly because they got a spot start somewhere. It's so weird. And this season has been the same way. P.J. Walker looked like a pro bowler against North Carolina. Both Kenny Pickett until he got hurt. And then Mitch Trubisky, when he came in to replace him in Pittsburgh, had success throwing against this this uh, this defense. But Mitch Trubisky, by the way, threw six touchdowns against the Bucs in his rookie season in Chicago. That was fun. Oh, my God. Um, it's just, so, again, this is, it's a trauma. It's a trauma thing for Bucks fans. Like the last eight to ten years, literally, if you – at the last second, have to start your random quarterback, Taylor Heineke, in the playoffs instead of Alex Smith, right? Like, all of these examples, the Saints swept the Bucks the last three years with some combination of, like, you know, end of the end of the road, Drew Brees, Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, Jameis Winston, and Andy Dalton, and beat them with all of those guys, I think. So, like, the fact that Brock Purdy is rolling out there instead of Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance actually makes Bucks fans like more nervous because they're like, great. Now when we lose, we'll look even stupider. That's wild. So, I mean, six and six still in first place in the NFC South. It doesn't sound like you're super optimistic just long-term about this Bucks season, but do you have any reasons for optimism? Like, can they, I mean, they're going to get a home playoff game, assuming they win that division. So do you do you think they can maybe be a tougher team in the playoffs um, than, the, than the way they've looked during the regular season? Oh, 100%. 100%. And that's been my optimism really the whole time is that there have been multiple games over the last, I say, month or so where, like, if they lose this game, it's probably over. And every time it feels like one of those games comes up, Something happens like we saw on Monday night, right? If they lose to the 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 banged up, struggling Rams a few weeks ago, that's probably the end of it. They they figure out a way. Then Brady Magic comes along and they win their game. This week, after you lose right to the to the Browns in overtime, and you're thinking, oh, okay, now we're back down to earth after back to back wins. This is how it's going to go because the Seattle game they looked great in Munich. They looked really good on both sides of the ball. Big plays, complimentary football. Forcing turnovers on defense, they came to play in that game. And it was a one-score game by the end of it. But at that point, the Seahawks had won four in a row. They were first place. They were rolling. Right. They might have been the hottest team in the league. And the Bucks went out and punched them in the mouth on both sides of the ball. They played really, really well. So you're coming off the, the Rams game. You're thinking, wow, okay, now we've seen the Bucks. Now they're here. They just needed that spark. And then they go to Cleveland and lose in overtime. After a bye week, right? You had, a, you had an extra week and you go to Cleveland and you lose to that team. So it comes crashing back down to earth. But then you look ahead to the Saints game, and you're like, okay, this is – if they lose to the Saints, because now it's a division opponent, and now you're you know, you're know two games under 500, you're like, okay, now now it's over. And what do they do? They go and they Brady figures it out, right, and they get the magic. So they're 3-1 they're and one in the division, and, and you've seen those moments, literally the last five minutes on Monday night, where the defense balls out, the offense scores back-to-back touchdowns and just has their way with the other team, and – and you remember like, oh, this team has 
two Hall of Fame wide receivers, three Pro Bowl wide receivers. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, the greatest of all time. You got a bunch of talent on defense. So looking ahead, it's so sad to think, but like the Bucs could literally lose their next three games. And that's, again, away against you guys in San Francisco, home against Cincinnati, and Christmas at Arizona. But if they win those last two, Carolina and Atlanta, they probably win the NFC South and, and go into the playoffs as a, as a four seed with a home playoff game at eight and nine. And yeah. I think what's funny at the, that point, regardless of how they get there, nobody's going to want to play Tom Brady in the playoffs. I, I, it's, you know, nobody's going to look yeah. on paper – and especially if they get a little healthier along the way and have most of those guys back to full strength, I still don't believe the whole Ryan Jensen thing. Like they're hoping this whole Vita Vea come back like the Super Bowl season where he broke his leg in week five and came back for the NFC title game. I don't see that happening. I don't get that vibe from the team at all. Todd Bowles has been every time that's come up and someone's been like, Hey, how's he doing? Is he going to come back? Todd's been like, the look on his face is like, y'all keep bringing this up. But like, I don't know why you think he's going to come back this season. Like that's the vibe I get from them. I don't see that happening. But if they get healthy enough and like most of those guys that are that have just been kind of banged up and they've missed a month here and there, if those guys are all back, I mean, do you really want to play them in in the playoffs? Do you want to go to Tampa and have to play them? Do you want to have to nope. beat Tom Brady even at home? If you're if, if you if they if they win who against whoever that is, say it's Dallas and they beat them again somehow. And now Tom Brady just beat the hot cowboys again in the playoffs. You're going to Philly or Minnesota. Do you think those teams feel like the Bucs have any pressure? Hell no. So, like, at that point, that's the optimism for me is that this team still has enough superstars on both sides of the ball. They have enough guys who have been there before who know what to do. They've been, you know, a lot of these Bucks guys hadn't been to the playoffs before that 2020 season. They've been to the playoffs in each of the last two seasons. They know what it <laughs> takes to get to the Super Bowl and win. They know what happens when you don't do that and when you don't have what it takes and, and you lose and go home early when you know you should have gone all the way probably again. So if they get in the door, if they get in the dance, man, I'm telling you, I, I, they might be that team that everybody's just going to be like, not them, please. No, I don't want to have to deal with that. Like it's going to be a, it's going to be a dog fight. I think for anybody who matches up against them. So I, that's what I sell to Bucks fans is they could literally go zero and three the rest of, of, of this, this stretch here. And as long as they win their division games again, if they, if they beat those two teams at the end, they'll have a five and one record in the division. And most of their losses will be against AFC teams. So you get conference record in there too. So it's mm. everything that this team wants to accomplish, as bad as they've been for those long stretches this year, everything's still in front of them. And they control their own destiny through throughout this season. And I think, again, they could end up with a losing record, go to the playoffs, and still be the team that most teams just don't want to face. They're six God, I want to bet on Tom Brady in Minnesota so bad. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're 6-6, six and six, but 6-2 six and two against NFC teams. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, yeah, I think that's all. That's all we got. Yeah. Do you have a prediction? You got to do predictions. Uh, that's I mean, like the. I mean, Forty Niners, some Bucks less. I, I don't. You know, I, I think it'll. I think it'll be ugly. I don't like the over. Uh, whatever the I don't even know what the number it's is. Thirty-seven and a half, which feels which is really low. Which is really <laughs> low, but I don't like it. I still don't like it. I don't see. I don't see a lot of points. The only thing I'll say is if the Bucs are going to win this game, it's going to be one of those just like supernatural Brady things where he goes back to home, right? He goes back to play the team from his childhood, maybe for one last time if he's going to retire, right? And he just pulls everything out of the bag and like has an, an out-of-body experience and performance and throws for like four tutties, which I don't see happening against Demico. But, you know, it's just I think that's how they win this game. And the defense has to turn the ball over. The defense has had like one takeaway that has meant anything. I think they had a Hail Mary pick at halftime against Cleveland. But other than that, I think it was Devin White's forced fumble in Munich. And other than that, I think that's the only takeaways they've had in like eight weeks or, or nine weeks or something ridiculous. Jeez. So they've got to force turnovers. They've got to give the offense some advantageous field position to work with. And I think Tom Brady's just got to play out of his friggin' mind. And, and maybe they'll have a shot. But I mean, I, I love D'Amico Ryan. I have a great D'Amico Ryan story, by the way. Oh, please share. D'Amico Ryan's is my is my guy uh, because when I was doing – this is back in the uh, – it may have even been like before the draft report, if if you guys know what that is. Like that was the blog I was running when like I met a lot of you guys. But I had I – had, for some reason, I had purchased like a bunch of rookie cards on eBay from like all my favorite prospects in that draft class when D'Amico was coming out of Alabama. And so I had like – 
a treasure trove of D'Amico Ryan's rookie cards for some reason. I'm talking like hundreds <laughs> of them. I don't know why. Like I bought, <laughs> I bought a bunch of D'Amico Ryan's rookie cards. And, and when he played really well that season, remember that was the year that he was the second round pick and Houston took Mario Williams number one overall. And D'Amico, oh, yeah. Ryan's, D'Amico Ryan's won defensive rookie of the year that year as the second round pick. So I was like fully validated. I was like, yeah, that's my guy. I grew up an Alabama fan. So like my whole, my whole like extended family, they're all Bama fans. Um, so I was like all in on D'Amico Ryan's. Well, that following year, um, my wife and I were trying to get married. So we're like, we're dirt poor. We have no money. Um, and I literally reached out cause I had done an interview for my blog with D'Amico Ryan's and he had like a really, he didn't have, he wasn't with like a big agency. So it was like really easier to get a hold of him. He had just like a, a kind of a small town agent from his area. And I reached out to his agent and I was like, um, so I have like, don't think this is weird. Like a million of your clients, rookie cards. Um, would he like to buy them for some reason? I don't know why. Maybe he wants to give them to his friends. Um, maybe he would like to just have a bunch of pictures of himself for some reason. I don't know. Um, but would he be interested? And I actually like priced them all out. And I was like, this is kind of how much I paid for them, how much they're worth. But like anything kind of close to that. And he messaged me back like two days later and was like, he'll give you this much for him. And I was like, sold. So um D'Amico if you're listening thanks for helping to pay for my wedding buddy appreciate it you're the, you're the man <laughs> he's an avid listener of the pod I'm sure he'll love that story that's amazing. I can't wait I can't wait I, I can't wait to see what NFL team will be smart enough to make him a head coach and watch him whoop some ass next year he's gonna be uh, he, Carolina I think Carolina's my bet if I had to guess I'm fine with that I'm fine Carolina with that except for it's in the division I prefer he go somewhere else and 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 do well but I will They're be rooting for him team. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Who I was good. I was done. You're good. Oh, I was going to say they're cooking with Steve Wilkes right now. So I imagine, they uh, are. imagine D'Amico would be an upgrade for them. Shout out to the Panthers. That's my guy, man. D'Amico Ryan's dude doesn't get enough love. He's my good. nightmare is Arizona and Ooh. Kyler and them just figured it out. Yeah. But, I, don't I don't know if he'd want to. Well, anyway, this is an offseason. <laughs> Luke, Luke, thanks so much for uh, for joining us, man. Your stuff is awesome. Uh, tell people where they can find you. Oh, yeah. I try to keep it simple. Social media is at Luke Easterling uh, on Twitter. Obviously, uh, bucswire.usatoday.com. Uh, fans of 49ers or anybody else that's interested in draft stuff, go to draftwire.usatoday.com. Um, and, yeah, yeah, that's it, man. This, draft is, this wire, is a blast. Draftwire is an invaluable resource. Used it is many a times. Much appreciate your work on that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff over there. Appreciate it, fellas. You guys are awesome. Thanks, Thanks man. Luke. Have a good one. See you, buddy. You too. All right, it's six pack time. You kicked my ass last week. I needed a redemption. The Kyle Madsen Redemption Tour starts now. That was a tough scene. Like, as the game was going, in my head, I forgot exactly who we each picked. But as the game was going, I knew you had Bosa, and I knew you had um, uh, Armstead. And it was just like, and then Robbie Gold starts kicking field goals, and it's like, oh my god, he has gold too. Oh, bro. Yeah, I remember that look on your face when I picked Robbie Gold. Wasn't lost on me. Dude, I thought you were going to take Mitch Wisnowski and that was going to be funny to me. (laughs) Maybe I should have. Maybe I will this week. We'll see how it goes. For what it's worth, you did pick Robbie Gold because you thought they were going to need a game-winning field goal. Well, he did kind of bail him out with that 48-yarder after Kyle Shanahan was (laughs) just calling really weird plays and then they were committing penalties and doing dumb things, so... Um, but yeah, Robbie Gold, four field goals. They got to run to get like to the eleven and wound up kicking a forty-eight yard field goal. <laughs> yeah, not great. It's so rough. Um, it's gonna rain a little bit on Sunday. It looks like, so maybe that explains why the over/under is so low for this game. No, do you know why the over/under is so low in this game? Well, the Bucks' offense isn't very good. The Bucks and the Niners are playing more their... than 22 points since week four. And the Niners are playing a third string quarterback. Correct. Against Todd Bowles. Right. Although if you listen to the Luke Easterling portion, that means bad news for the for the Bucks. 
But remember, I, I was going to bring this up and then I decided not to, but remember Nick Mullins went to Tampa Bay in 2018 and played like the worst game he'd ever played? I was there, yeah. <laughs> that was the Reuben Foster, Foster weekend. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was when Reuben oh, Foster got, got cut at 6 a.m. Yeah, that was that was super fun. That was one of those get back to the hotel room late after enjoying a few and then having to like do serious reporting. Like I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> I think we've told our stories about this on the pod before. Yeah. But also, well, I, I don't, this we is don't pod need to number 433. Yeah. I don't, we don't need to revisit that one. That was uh that was tough, but yeah, that was the room. I was Foster also game. out drinking for what it's worth. That was, that was the Ruben Foster game. You go out. Big Dante Pettis game that day. You go out. You have dinner. You go to a couple spots afterwards, and then all of a sudden, it's this huge breaking news story, and it's very late at night. And then they release him like first thing in the morning. So not only are you up writing very very late at night, your phone's going off like far too early, and then you <laughs> have a then you have a game to do. Like I know people don't like hearing writers complain about their jobs, and I'm not complaining. It's great, but not the most fun weekend i've had in tampa put it that way right right (laughs) it's not Um, like a hardship it's just a series of inconveniences a series of inconveniences but if if i would have known that that's what the night would have held i would have gone out to dinner and then went back to the hotel room let's put it that way um (laughs) but no this this game i think this game's interesting for it's fascinating I mean, it's it's Brock Purdy versus Tom Brady, which is just kind of hilarious in of itself. Brock Purdy. Go ahead. Sorry. There's the whole Tom Brady element, which. You know. I'm not assuming that Tom Brady's going to try to come to the 49ers, but I think there's going to be (laughs) some substantial Tom Brady to the 49ers smoke in the offseason. And maybe that depends on what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, does this foot injury prevent teams from, from paying Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't know. Like, it sounds like he's going to be ready for free agency, at least. I mean, mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan said, or it was Adam Schefter reported this week that it's a seven to eight week injury, um, which would put the time frame right around the NFC championship game or the Super Bowl if he could come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, which means obviously that Jimmy Garoppolo will be healthy for free agency. Does he want to come back to the 49ers? Is there more money out there for him from, say, the Jets or the Colts or the Rams? Even, you know, if if Matt Stafford ends up retiring, I feel like the Rams would be a serious Jimmy Garoppolo destination. Feels like there would be plenty of teams in the market for a veteran quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo. If that happens... Do the 49ers feel super comfortable rolling with just Trey Lance's or unquestioned starter? Does Brock Purdy alleviate any of those questions over the, the remainder of this season, right? Do they, does Brock Purdy get some mm-hmm. reps and they're like, yeah, we feel, we feel fine as Brock Purdy is our backup quarterback behind Trey Lance, who's coming off the ankle injury. Or does Kyle Shanahan say, man, we invested a lot in Trey, but we still have a Super Bowl team and Tom Brady's out there and wants to come. Do we entertain this idea? I don't know if Sunday's game is really going to like dictate all of that, but hearing Tom Brady talk at his press conference today about how much he loves the Bay Area and growing up here and being close to his parents and all that, it's just not inconceivable to me at all that Brady would be in the discussion to come to the 49ers in the offseason. It's definitely conceivable. I want to see if he's washed first. He might be washed. He might be washed. And maybe like, I don't want to, that's like all relative, right? I don't want to say he's washed and then he might go light up the 49ers, but. Wash Tom Brady might be better than. Right. 15, 15, 16, 17, 18 quarterbacks in the league. Right. Is wash Tom Brady good enough to be a little better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah, potentially. We'll see. I'm, I've not I've not like closely watched a full Tom Brady game yet. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mention this with with Luke. He said he didn't think Tom Brady would be a great fit for Kyle Shanahan. 
because of all the movement that's required of quarterbacks. My counter argument would be, well, Kyle Shanahan would just sort of scheme the offense around what Tom Brady's good at. Jimmy doesn't move. Yeah. And Jimmy can't, (laughs) Jimmy doesn't really move either. I mean, Jimmy can move. Jimmy can do the, the, you know, play action one way, roll out to the opposite. Sure. Like Jimmy can do that. Tom probably not as much, but I, I wouldn't have any concerns about Kyle Shanahan being able to fit Tom Brady in the offense. I think, I think, I think Kyle Shanahan can figure out how to make that work and maximize Brady's (laughs) skill set. Tom Brady's the one quarterback that Kyle Shanahan can get the most out of. Yeah, not too talented. I need I needed a more mediocre guy. <laughs> the The thing is, is just with that, and I don't want to dive super far into this, but Tom Brady has made a career out of just dicing teams in the middle of the field. And that's what Kyle Shanahan has built this offense around. Well, where did Jimmy Garoppolo play before coming to the 49ers? New England, he was Tom Brady's backup. Right. Why, we never talked about that. <laughs> well, so those offenses are obviously different. Like the 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 verbiage is different and all of that. But I think those two offenses require similar skill sets. Hey, did you know that Tom Brady's from the Bay Area? Yeah, I went to Sarah High School in San Mateo. I used to live you know, over there. What? Yeah, I used to live right right over there. He apparently grew up a 49ers fan. <laughs> He was at the game. He was at the catch game. No way. Get out of town. Yeah, swear to God. God. (laughs) It's reached levels. It's it's reached. Ryan Fitzpatrick went to Harvard levels. Yeah. Well, and like Clayton Kershaw and Matt Stafford are best friends. (laughs) Yeah, man, we got it. (laughs) Drew Brees went to their same high school too. I think that I did not know. Yeah, I think you might want. That's actually new. I'm not doing a bit anymore. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's true. Um, Anyway, so yeah, I mean, this game is interesting, though, because the Bucs are probably going to be pretty desperate. Yeah. The Niners, I don't know, like last week felt like the more desperation, like kitchen sink game. And it does feel like at eight and four, like there's an element of maybe they're looking ahead to Seattle on Thursday, maybe. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Like if they come out flat against Tampa, knowing what's at stake with the Seahawks game, like I could, I, I could see them not playing great. And particularly like if the Bucks do have a strength, it's defensively, right? Like they still have Devin White and Levante David and Vita Vea in the middle of that offense. And we know the interior of the 49ers offensive line is not their strength. And White and David in particular could take advantage and maybe force some big plays um, defensively, particularly, you know, if they rattle Brock Purdy or they're able to pressure him with some of these unique blitzes that Todd Bowles is known for um, that could potentially swing the game. I I do think the Niners defense is well equipped to handle Tampa Bay's offense right now. Mm -hmm. But when you have a third string quarterback making his first career start, against a top 10 defense and Tampa Bay as much as, as many issues as they've had, they still have a top 10 defense this year. Um, It could be, it could be a pretty low scoring game, particularly if it's raining. So let's, let's talk real quick about, about Brock Purdy specifically. I think the biggest thing this weekend, just in terms of him facing a defense, that's game plan for him because Miami couldn't on the fly, just start, you know, going like, hey, let's disguise our coverages this way. Like, that's something you do in meeting rooms throughout and practice throughout the week. So that, that's why you just saw zero blitzes. It was like, let's just throw as many bodies at this guy as we can and see if we can get him to make a mistake. And he he really didn't. So we we talked about it. His one interception was was a fourth down arm punt. It so, was a lot of blitzes, but they were of yeah. the zero blitz variety. Right. Just to be clear, we want to let people know we're football guys. So... <laughs> So I was going to try and figure out a way to put in conflict there, but I I didn't. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's, there's going to just be things he's never seen. And so in those moments, so when he's confused or, or doesn't, doesn't recognize what he's seeing post snap, can he turn that into at least like a neutral play? Right. 
is it if even if it's I mean a sack is a negative play, but taking a sack instead of throwing it to a defender because he didn't think the defender was going to be there, like can he can he eliminate the turnovers because that's what happened with Nick Mullins. We talked about this earlier in the week. Nick Mullins had that really good start against the Raiders and then just started turning the ball over like crazy. That's what like the yards were there, great, you know, touchdowns fine, but the turnovers were and there were other issues with the 2018 49ers aside from Nick Mullins but if Purdy can just not turn the ball over or limit the amount of times he's giving the ball away I think they're going to be fine but that's the one like hang up I have is what is that what does that look like yeah I, I would imagine Sunday's game from an offensive perspective for the 49ers is just going to be a ton of of Brock Purdy getting the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. Yes. And that includes like a ton of bubble screens, a ton of, you know, slants to Christian McCaffrey on third down. Like it's not going to be play action, five-step drop, read the field, throw it 25 yards outside the numbers. Like I I think it's going to be very much the type of game where the passing game is basically an extension of the running game. And like we said, Todd Bowles loves his blitzes and and a lot of their blitzes are like timing based, right? Like they come in waves sort of. They send one blitzer to occupy a blocker and then they'll send another blitzer after that to, to occupy the same gap, but the blocker is already picking up another guy and then you have a guy running free. Mm-hmm. If you're getting the ball out quickly, generally that's the antidote to that, right? You can get the ball out quickly and just negate the timing element of those blitzes. Um, and as Luke pointed out, like Shaq Bear not being there is huge for them. I had forgotten that he tore his Achilles back in October. That's that's a huge loss for that defense. That's you know like he's Shaq Barrett isn't as good as Nick Bosa, but that's the value to that defense is pretty similar. Given that he's their best edge rusher, he's played eight games. The Bucks have played twelve, so he's missed four games, and he's still fourth on the team in pressures with twenty two. Yeah, they're leading. Their leading pass rusher from a pressure standpoint is Joe Tryon Shoyinka with 31. And then it's their interior lineman, Vita Vea, and then a linebacker, Devin White. If they're not getting pressure off the edge, they're not getting pressure. And so that's something I'm I'm wondering too, if the Niners try and take advantage of of that lack of I don't want to say lack of NFL, like high-end NFL talent on the edges with moving the pocket, you know, getting, getting Purdy on the move here and there. Uh, I, I, I agree with you that I think they're going to get the ball out quick, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we see when they do go play action, if that's also accompanied by some kind of, of boot action, because he did show on Sunday, that was one of the things that really stuck out to me. He was very good throwing on the run, both getting outside, looking down the field, and then and then making accurate throws. So that's something I think they'll try and take advantage of too. Sure. Uh, pick six, six pack, six pack. I one day will stop calling it the pick six. I don't know. It, it will happen, dude. I thought how long have the Chargers been in Los Angeles? Four years, three years, long enough, right? Twenty eighteen. St- four years, I believe. I still, when I'm writing it, start writing San Diego. It's an all-time travesty that they left San Diego. It's ridiculous. All-time travesty. I think they started in 2018 because 2018, the Niners played there in week four. It was the first first game after Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL in Kansas. Right at the StubHub Center. George Kittle had a huge game. He did. He did. C.J. Beathard almost beat Phil Rivers. And then... um, Derwin James just did Derwin James things and they ended up losing. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. I think I pick first. You, you do. First you do. Week. You picked second last week and still kicked ass. Yeah. Okay. Dick. <laughs> Sorry about it. Um, okay. Let's see. I'm seeing. So I'm a little bit, you know, Nick Bosa missed practice on thursday um generally if there's a player on the roster who cannot practice all week and still play it's probably nick bosa Mm -hmm. so 
but I, I don't I, I don't want to pull a Kyle Madsen and pick somebody who doesn't end up playing. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, here's one. Did you notice Wait. on Sunday against the Dolphins, as good as Nick Bosa was, Samson Ebukam was like a quarter second slower to hitting Tua on almost every play? Like Sam, on on the fumble, for instance, Ebu Cam leveled Tua right after Bosa knocked the ball yes. out of his hands, and there was another. I think Bosa's second sack. He was also joined by Ebu Cam, like at the quarterback. So I'm going to go with Samson Ebu Cam because I think he's playing pretty well. And if Nick Bosa is out on Sunday, um, then I will I will be sitting pretty with the Ebu Cam pick. So I'm going to do that. I do not have a feel for Nick Bosa's availability. Um, but my fear is obviously, like I said, pick, picking somebody that doesn't end up playing. So uh, we don't know about Bosa aside from he's dealing with hamstring irritation. I'm guessing that means some sort of strain, quote unquote, irritation. I think that's just the buzzword that they're like the 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 team is just putting out there when you know someone has a strain or tendonitis or whatever the injury is it's just not it's not a real thing do you do you the the thing about the word irritation is to irritate something it has to have like something has to start out to be irritated your hamstring doesn't just have quote-unquote irritation right like that's an that's an injury that then got irritated like that's the that's the crux of my issue with the use of that word an irritation sounds like a rash. Right. Like, right. Like there's like a piece of tendon hanging out there that like got like inflamed or right. something. I don't, it just, I, it's a, I hate that that's the buzzword. Oh, just a little knee irritation. I'm sorry. What? After, that's after, crazy. after a couple old fashions at the shady lady, I'm going to wake up the next day and say I've had irritation. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we got to do that soon. R Street, shout out, dude. R Street gang, nine one six, stand up. Um, all right. So my boys. first pick is, is Samson Ebukam. B O I Z on boys. <laughs> shout out to the snug. <laughs> Sponsor the pod. No. Um, if your place serves big ice cubes, we're in. Yes. If you work at a bar that sells big ice cubes, let me in, or that does big ice cubes in their old fashioned, let me and Chris know when we're in there. Yeah. All right. If you, if you have regular sized ice cubes in your old fashions, like get with the program. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. All right. We don't want it. Who's your pick? <laughs> Top golf? Get out of here. <laughs> you trash ass crunch ice. Not the place to go for cocktails. Crushed ice. Uh, I'm going to pick George Kittle and here's why George Kittle's first game back from injury. He had four and 28 and then he had two and 24. Then he had five for 47. That's catches and yards. But then he had an eight for 83 game and then a six for 98 game. And then he had a couple of slower games, then four for 84 with two touchdowns against the Cardinals. His last two weeks, he's three catches, 26, two catches, 22. I think there's a big George Kittle game coming because he hasn't had three like particularly bad games in a row this year. So Bad games from a receiving standpoint. So I believe that George Kittle is going to have a big game. I think that when you talk about Purdy getting rid of the ball quickly, Devin White is one of the linebackers in the league that can probably hang with George Kittle a little bit. And he's also their best pass rusher. So I think he's going to spend a lot of time trying to get into the backfield rather than trying to stop George Kittle. And I think we're going to see a lot of throws to Kittle, like the one we saw in that third and 10 over the middle that everybody on every NFL show keeps highlighting. Um, I I imagine there's going to be several of those on, on Sunday. So I think there's going to be plenty of action for George Kittle, especially in the red zone, should they get there. So give me a big George Kittle game. Um, both of Tampa's starting safeties, Mike Edwards and Antoine Winfield Jr., uh, have not practiced this week. Correct. Because of hamstring and ankle injuries, respectively. So, to your Kittle point, 
Um, if Kittle's going up against backup safeties, I would expect Kyle Shanahan to to press that a little bit, maybe in the middle yeah. of the field. So I like the pick. Thanks. Um, okay. Where do I go? You if know you what? Take my pick. I'm going to be so mad. So for those reasons, for the for reasons like the safeties potentially being nicked up or hurt. Um, and I just need to make sure this guy's not on the injury report, so I don't do it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Debo Samuel's been limited with yep. a quad yeah. injury both he's, days. Brandon Ayuk is not on the injury report. He's who I'm taking. I'm taking Debo. Um, we haven't talked about it, I don't think, but I think Debo had a really good game on Sunday against the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Um, not in terms of like overall production, but just like making physical plays, being really difficult to tackle all the Debo Samuel things. Some good catches in traffic. Yeah, good catches in traffic. I I just think as time goes on and Christian McCaffrey gets more ingratiated with the offense that it makes more sense to just sort of phase Debo Samuel out of the running back position. And Mm -hmm. it just feels like I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it feels like he hasn't popped a run in a while. Like those plays are typically – you know the the most effective ones are the the jet sweeps or those the skate technique play that that Eric Branch wrote the about Teddy against the Cardinals. Yeah, exactly. But that wasn't like he's lined up in the backfield. That was he was a receiver and took a pitch. What are you laughing at? They ran the skate play against the Dolphins, and it was the one where they were going to lose like fourteen yards. Oh yeah, then Debo made a couple moves. But I just thought it was really funny. Like the Dolphins were scanning the Chronicle and were like, hey, watch out for this play that Eric Branch wrote about. Probably. I mean, Mike McDaniel probably made that play. Yes. Yes. He definitely. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it said. Branch wrote a really good story about that play, by the way. Check it out in the Chronicle. I enjoyed it. Um, So anyway, with the Buck safeties being banged up, I think we're and and Debo Samuel being sort of phased out of being a running back. I think there's going to be opportunities for him over the middle of the field. Um, on crossers and slants and and those Debo Samuel routes that we that we see a lot. So mm-hmm. Debo is going to be my pick here. Um, I thought about going Ayuk, but uh, I'm I'm going to go with Debo because I just think he's going to get more touches. Okay, I like it. So, in the interest of making this segment a little bit different and not talking about the same players every week, and we've already talked about Christian McCaffrey. I think we're going to see more Jordan Mason this week. I was a little surprised that making a big swing, another big swing. I do think he's going to play, (laughs) but he only had eight carries last week, but he turned it into 51 yards. And so we saw a small sample against new Orleans and he looked good. We saw a little bit bigger sample against Miami and he looked good. Hasn't made any real mistakes yet. So I think they're going to lean a little bit more on him as a running back. It wouldn't surprise me that this is kind of one of those more knockdown, drag out physical games. And I don't think they're going to want to put 17 of those carries on Christian McCaffrey, especially, especially with that game in Seattle coming up. So, because just real quick, I meant to bring this up that game in Seattle, if the Niners win that, they'll have a two and a half game lead with three games to go. So, that's a depending depending what happens on Sunday. Uh, right. If if the Niners in if, if if the Niners go into that go into that game in Seattle, still a game up in the division. Yeah, they would be two games up with the tiebreaker with three games left to play. So it's it, that could that could be. I mean, it wouldn't clinch the division, but it would be a, a really significant game. Seahawks so, host Seahawks host the Panthers. So there's a pretty good chance that both teams win on Sunday. Yeah. So that that's why I think they want to take some of the load off McCaffrey this week, especially because he's still been limited by that knee uh, irritation. And I think that's going to mean more carries for Jordan Mason. And I think he's going to turn those carries into, uh, into some good production. And I'm going to predict his first NFL touchdown this weekend. Wow. Okay. I like it. Um, so I thought about, going out your neck again and doing the thing where you pick like 
somebody at a position and I just like picked the other guy and I thought about picking Christian McCaffrey for my last pick just so it'd be the better like that's he he will <laughs> if, if you're betting on one of those two guys to be more productive it's probably McCaffrey yeah but, but I'm not gonna do that because uh, every week since he's been on the team so I want to I want to go more of a take more of a hipster angle to this out of bed um Kyle Juszczyk it's <laughs> gonna be my this. pick here no this is great scored a touchdown last week um, the 49ers are going to have to run the ball a lot to your point about Jordan Mason. Like the, they're probably going into this game, hoping that they can run the ball 35, 40 times. Mm-hmm. Um, if any of those runs pop, we typically see nice blocks from George Kittle. Who's already been picked and Kyle use like particularly even in like Monday night, the Monday night game in Mexico city against Arizona, the Debo Samuel run, it was like, oh, Kyle Juszczyk made a nice block. You know, Jake Brennell made a nice block. It's like a series of good blocks. If the Niners get a running play or two to pop on Sunday, there's going to be some good Kyle Juszczyk blocks. And there's a decent chance that we're going to get like a Kyle Juszczyk wheel route matched up against like an outside linebacker or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a good chance we get Kyle Juszczyk in the flat um potentially to you know to be an outlet for for Brock Purdy and maybe even get in the end zone like he did uh Sunday against the Dolphins so my last pick here is going to be Kyle Juszczyk for those reasons I think there's going to be opportunities for him to make some some showcase blocks if you will um and just it's more of a bet on the 49ers needing to run the ball a lot to complement Brock Purdy um but he'll also be an outlet for Brock Purdy and uh that's that's my Kyle Juszczyk thing. And he's also the uh, the Art Rooney sportsmanship nominee. So we always love to see that. We're going to leave the pod with that. Shout out to sportsmanship. Love sportsmanship. Friend of Big the pod, Kyle Juszczyk. Oh, yeah, he was on the pod. He was on the pod. We got him. That was actually, they like wouldn't let me do it over Zoom. So I literally had to like put the phone up to the microphone. When we had oh, him, wow. <laughs> I had Kyle Juszczyk on speakerphone as we as we recorded the pod. It wasn't the best, but I think it I think it worked for what it was. I think it worked. I don't remember it. I remember him being on the pod. I don't remember it sounding bad though. So shout I out think to it was. I think it was during the pandemic. I think it was the 2020 season. Yeah, it was like definitely one of those. Yeah, like he's uh, selling something. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine with us. If these guys want to yeah, sell yes. stuff on our pod. Please come back. Yeah. Shout out to George Kittle. We miss We're going to throw 99 mile an hour fastballs. Right. But we'll also let you sell stuff. What are your favorite Jordans? <laughs> Who has more Jordans, you or your baby? <laughs> <laughs> Hard hitting. Uh, All right. Who's your last pick? My favorite part of that was I was like, hey, what's like being a dad? He's like, being a dad's great. Right. All right. Next question. <laughs> Anyways, I've hemmed and hawed, and I'm going to pick Aaron Banks. Whoa! Yeah, because Vita Vea is a game wrecker on the inside. We know about DeForest Buckner. We obviously know about Aaron Donald. But Vita Vea is right up there in terms of interior defensive linemen who are disruptive and can just... Remember Grady Jarrett a couple years ago when the Niners lost to the Falcons in 2019? And he was just like, dude, Grady Jarrett just kind of like made that game really hard. Also, and, earlier, also earlier this season in Atlanta. Yeah, he's just a just freaking really good player. And that's that's where Vita Vea is at. And I could see him wrecking this game. And one of the players who's going to be responsible for stopping him or slowing him down some is Aaron Banks. And Banks has been a little bit of a revelation this year. I think he's been pretty good. So this will be a really significant test for him. And the first kind of major test who's not Aaron Donald with respect to Gary Jarrett. So if Vita Vea has a huge game, it could be a long day for Brock Purdy in the Niners offense. If they can stymie him a little bit, and force the Bucks to have to blitz. I I think that uh, that uh, that the Niners will move the ball a little bit. Has anyone ever hawed without hemming first? Yeah, okay. I haw all the time. 
I haven't heard it. I've only heard the 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 hemming well, preceding the hawing. Sometimes I oh speaking of hemming, I need to text my tailor. Thanks. Oh what what a flex. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> my, wow. my I got to text my, I, I got some bespoke joint getting handled soon. Let me send <laughs> this tailor, text off during this, during the pod. My tailor's a lady named Linda. She's very nice. <laughs> Let me text my tailor. Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, I took Samson <laughs> Abukam first. You took George Kittle. I took Debo Samuel. You took Jordan Mason. I took Kyle Juszczyk. You took Aaron Banks. This all means that Nick Bosa is going to have like five sacks and Christian McCaffrey is going to score four touchdowns. Right? Because yes, neither correct. of us. Pick, yeah. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Glad, glad that's where this is leading to. All right. We're getting out of here. Um, go get Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA. A third batch. You guys have liked it so much that they've made a third batch. It's really cool. Cooperage typically like, <laughs> I mean, they have their signature beers. Um, but I don't know that they make as many batches of of their signature beers as they've made of of Candlestick Chronicles. So I think it it speaks to the support that we've gotten and how much you guys like it. And it's just a really good beer. And sometimes a really good beer just speaks for itself. So um, go check out the uh, you can get it on Cooperage's website, cooperagebrewing.com, or you can go to the Santa Rosa Brewery and get some there. But yeah, a third run. People are always asking, like, where can I get it? Where can I get it? And the runs are like over. Right it only lasts like a few weeks. Yeah. Um, so this is their third run of the season, which is really cool. They had one run last year and now they have three this year. So they uh, did the first pretty- run. They were they did the first run last year. That just the one. And we're like, man, it'd be pretty cool if they did another one next year. And now they've done three. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So yeah. shout out, shout out to them. Go sell it out super quick so they can do a fourth. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of want to get some, too. Anyway, all right. All right. Everybody enjoy the game. Stay dry this weekend. And, uh, Can I go half will... on a case? And I can afford one again, case. <laughs> I don't this have a tailor. I was going to say, all my money's going into getting the sleeves hemmed on this jacket. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you guys after the Bucks game.